Hello, Sobel Church, and uh, welcome. Let me just say how thankful I am for this opportunity to share uh, on what I believe is an important uh, follow-up topic to uh, where we've spent the last number of weeks. If you've been tracking with us uh, over the last six weeks, we have spent our time in a series called Reset, uh, where we were really asking the question, uh, what does it look like for us individually and uh, us as a church to press the reset button, uh, look at the early church and what they devoted themselves to in Acts chapter 2. And so we looked at fellowship, uh, prayer, evangelism, the teachings of Jesus, generosity, and worship. And if you missed that, it's a great series. I would encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, just search for Sobel Church, and you can catch up on any of those messages whenever you want. This week and next week, we're going to spend some time uh, looking at two practices that we as a church uh, really see as essential to the life and the health of the church. Next week, we're going to spend some time around the communion table. Chris is going to lead us in that. And this week, he's asked me to speak to you about baptism. When it comes to following Jesus uh, and being obedient to him and what he asks of us, uh, we all have different stories to tell. God has created us uniquely. He's given us different uh, abilities and passions uh, and struggles that we've faced. Uh, so ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, we each have to make this, our own personal decision to not just follow Him, but to know what He's commanded us to do and be obedient to it. And baptism is one of those things. Uh, back a number of years ago, Pastor Dave did a series called Why We Do What We Do. And it was really an informational uh, teaching series uh, looking at some of the things we do as a local church, uh, whether that be child dedication, communion, membership, and baptism was one of those things. And so today is a little bit of a review of that, and uh, that's where we're going today. It might feel a little bit more of a teaching time than a preaching time. Uh, I'm sure that if we uh, asked around our church, we did a survey on baptism, uh, we would see that uh, there's a number of varying uh, opinions and views on baptism. And those are likely largely influenced by uh, our upbringing, uh, what our family practiced, uh, what, we, what tradition we grew up in. Uh, and so I understand that uh, this can be uh, an emotional topic, but I, I never want it to be a divisive topic. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, we want to just open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into uh, this topic of baptism. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that uh, you have called us to be your sons and your daughters. Uh, you love us. We love you. We want to follow you. We want to be obedient to what you've asked us to be as your followers. And so as we look at this topic today, uh, would your Holy Spirit give us unity, give us understanding, give us uh, encouragement, challenge us uh, in what we, uh, what we see from your word around this topic of baptism. Uh, it's all for you. Uh, we want to... I want to know uh, what you say, and we want to follow you and be obedient. And so bless our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since 1996, the uh, Sobel Church has been a part of the Be in Christ Church of Canada. Uh, back then it was called the Brethren in Christ Church. And it's this family of churches that are united around this Anabaptist vision of a Jesus-centered faith and life. Sobel Church, uh, if you go back a few years before that, in 1991, was started by five couples that were from very different backgrounds uh, and traditions. They, they committed to coming together and 
following the Lord's leading to see a year-round uh, evangelical church here at the beach. You know, I think this is a, such a cool story to remember uh, because it's five different couples, all from different backgrounds, uh, rearranging retirement plans, putting aside personal preferences, joining together, devoting themselves essentially to these six things that we've looked at in our reset series. And wow, I mean, God has done amazing things. And we continue that story today as, as a church family. Uh, we benefit from their commitment and we make our own commitment to continuing that story. I know at one point in Sobel's history, uh, we, had, uh, we had one uh, person that had been raised as a BIC. And so uh, they're no longer uh, with us here. Uh, but I mean, aside from the babies that are being born and, and raised in the BIC church here and now, uh, we don't really have anybody that was raised BIC. And so at some point for all of us, we were new to the family. And with a new family, uh, there are bound to be some things that are different, uh, some preferences and methods that uh, maybe we're used to that we need to set aside and others that we pick up uh, to identify with this new family. As part of the BIC family, uh, baptism is a big deal. And I mean, uh, even, even more than that, as followers of Jesus, baptism is a big deal. Just to narrow it down a bit, uh, when we talk about baptism today, uh, we're referring to what we would call believer's baptism. Uh, baptism as a personal decision to follow Jesus and, and make that choice. Even with believer's baptism, uh, I understand that there can be some differences from church to church. I grew up at Evangelical Baptist Church in Owen Sound, and so uh, I just assumed, uh, since we had it right in our name, that we were probably doing it better than anyone else. Uh, if you come from uh, a Catholic tradition, uh, baptism uh, for a Catholic tradition is directly linked to salvation, and so uh, they would baptize uh, babies at an early uh, age uh, fairly fairly early because they believe that um, baptism is directly linked to uh, salvation and and their cleansing and being brought into the body of Christ. Uh, we practice a child dedication where it's really about the parents uh, bringing their child to the Lord and dedicating them and committing uh, in front of the church and as the church commits to them that we will together raise this child in a way that, uh, that uh, they grow up to uh, make a decision to follow Jesus for themselves and be baptized. And so uh, that's what we're talking about today, believer's baptism. Uh, this is what, as a church, we identify with, and that is what we're talking about. For the majority of the evangelical church, uh, baptism is a part of what we do, although it might look different from church to church. Uh, just before Jesus descended uh, into heaven, uh, he gave his followers a command. Uh, Chris referenced this, uh, this passage a few times over the past series, uh, and, uh, and so we want to read it again. It's known as the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, this is the mission of the church, and it really hasn't changed uh, ever since Jesus said it uh, more than 2,000 years ago. And so we're looking at Matthew chapter 28 and beginning at verse 18. It reads, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Well, I'm sure that you've noticed, uh, as you have observed baptism uh, probably before, uh, that when we baptize, we say this. Uh, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is where we, that comes from. Uh, but here's the truth. Following Jesus and baptism go together. Uh, you can't separate the two. When, it, when you see uh, a, a people embracing the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and his commands, you see baptism. Whatever your history with baptism is, I hope that you could agree with me on that. Following Jesus is our focus, and Jesus gave us uh, our mission as his disciples, uh, and he said, uh, you make disciples by teaching uh, everything that I've commanded you and baptizing. I think that's pretty clear, and I hope that we can see that. So kind of with that as a starting point, uh, I want to look at scripture and what it says about baptism and then also bring in a bit of uh, church history as well. My hope and prayer uh, for today as we work through this is that you would see the importance that baptism plays uh, into being a follower of Jesus and being obedient to him. So if you're a follower of Jesus today and you've never been baptized, uh, I want you to get baptized. I want you to seriously consider and pray about what it means to be obedient to Jesus' words uh, and his command to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized uh, yet, uh, maybe because you haven't made a decision to, to follow Jesus, maybe you're still checking things out, um, man, I hope this, this point, that, this, that this pushes you forward uh, in that decision and that you would make that decision to follow Jesus and then uh, to be baptized as well. As a church, we say uh, we want to know God, become like Jesus, and change our world. That's all about making disciples. Uh, and part of the disciple-making process that Jesus outlined here in Matthew 28 is that we baptize those that are ready to take that step. And so this is why this is so important. To begin, I want to tell you about a great online resource that I use and that's available to anybody. Uh, you may have heard of it before. Uh, if you, well, if you're looking for uh, just uh, a Bible on uh, your phone or on the web, uh, version is a pretty popular one. If you want to go deeper and you want to get into some of the original language and uh, dissecting the text, uh, another one that I want to tell you about is one called Blue Letter Bible. And uh, they have an app, they have a website. It's a great way to kind of uh, dig deeper into the text. And so uh, that's what I'm using usually in my studies. And that's what I'm going to use today as we dig into uh, some of the text. The word that we see in our English versions of the Bible, uh, baptism, if you look up this word in the original Greek, that word is baptizo. Uh, it's, it's got some kind of a D sound in there, baptizo. Uh, you probably know this, but the original manuscripts of the Bible were not English. Uh, they were written in uh, Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, or Greek. And so uh, the New Testament was originally Greek and the uh, scholars uh, took that Greek text and they translated it into English. And I am certainly glad they did because it's way easier to read uh, in English. But there are a number of ways that they would translate. And, uh, and so we've got so many different versions of the Bible and we've talked about this before as well. 
uh, so many different versions of the Bible because they all kind of take a different approach to how they translate. Uh, sometimes uh, you do a literal translation, which is more of a word-for-word -word translation of the Bible. So, uh, for example, uh, in the Spanish language, you might have that word bueno. Uh, in English, that would be a word-for-word -word translation for that would be good. Uh, in Matthew 16, when Jesus is asking the disciples, uh, you know, who do you think that I am? Uh, Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that word for God in Greek is theos. A literal word-for-word -word translation of theos in English would be God. Uh, some translations of the Bible uh, use this word-for-word -word approach. Uh, the King James Version, the ESV, would be more on the literal word-for-word -word approach. Other versions like uh, NLT or NIV would be more of a thought-for-thought -thought approach. And then uh, you would have, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, something like the message, which would be more of a paraphrase. There were some words in our Bibles that instead of being translated, uh, were what is called transliterated. Uh, this means that these words were, uh, were a letter-for-letter -letter conversion uh, from the original language into, um, so from the Greek alphabet into what the Latin alphabet is and where we get our English from. Some examples of these words in the New Testament would be um, the word apostle, deacon, evangelist, angel, and baptism is one of these words as well. So when you're reading your Bible and you see the word baptism, uh, this isn't a translation of the original word. This is a transliteration of the word baptizo. baptizo. So this is what you did if you were going to transliterate a word. Uh, you would take the Greek letter uh, beta, B, that would be the English equivalent, B. Uh, you would take the Greek uh, letter alpha, the English equivalent, A. Uh, the Greek pi, uh, English P. And so you would go through this word baptizo, uh, and you would, you would go letter for letter, and you would just trans, uh, you should transliterate it that way. When you do this to the whole word, you get the Greek word baptizo, uh, English word baptism. Now here's the problem with this. In the English language, the word baptize is a very religious word. Uh, but in the first century, this wasn't the case. In fact, it was a very common word. It, it literally meant uh, to immerse or to, to dip, to wash, to soak. Uh, actually, in first century writings, uh, you can see this word being used uh, quite often. Probably uh, the best example of this, if you go to blueletterbible.org, and you look up Matthew 28 and you take that word uh, baptize and you, and you look at the original Greek. If you scroll down uh, after seeing the definitions, you'll get an example of that. Uh, this is from uh, an example of how this was used in that day. There's a Greek poet and physician, Nicander, who lived around 200 BC and uh, he used this word in a pickle recipe uh, to describe what you do with cucumbers if you want to uh, convert them into pickles. You first dip, there's that word, uh, the cucumber in boiling water and then you baptize or submerse uh, the, them into a vinegar solution. And so this was a common word in their language. Now this gets even more confusing because sometimes when the scholars would, uh, would come to this word in the original Greek, they did translate it wash or dip. 
but other times they transliterated it to baptizo, baptize. Uh, and so here's an example in Mark 7 where it's translated wash. Uh, for the Pharisees, Mark 7, verse th- uh, picking up at verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. So here we see this word baptism or baptizo used three times. Once about them and then once about their dishes or their uh, couches. Now this would read a lot differently if they used the word baptize here. Every time you come home from the market, uh, you can't eat unless you get baptized. Well, no, uh, they just needed to wash when they got home. Uh, I mean, washing or sorry, baptizing your uh, pots and cups. uh, They're just talking about washing the dishes. So why did the translators... Uh, when they got to this word, sometimes translate it wash and sometimes uh, transliterate it baptize. What, like, can you imagine Matthew 28 if it read, uh, Go ye into all the world and make disciples, washing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, this was a common word. Uh, so how did we get from there, uh, a common word in their language, to where, you know, if you asked anybody, what the word baptize means in our, in our culture, uh, you would most likely get some sort of a religious explanation for it. Well, you maybe know this, or maybe you don't, but between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's a period of about 400 years. And this is called the intertestamental period. Uh, it was a period of, of great upheaval. Uh, it was a period of great change when it comes to uh, many religious beliefs of the day. The Greeks uh, held a polytheistic uh, view, so they had many gods. Uh, The Jews were the only uh, culture at the time that held a monotheistic view uh, where they worshipped one god. Uh, For the Gentiles that had an interest in becoming uh, Jewish, they had a process to allow the conversion to Judaism to happen. The list, for the most part, uh, even to this day, kind of remains the same. Uh, it would begin with uh, circumcision for a man. Uh, I'm, ass- I'm assuming that um, conversion to Judaism was probably a bit of a harder sell to men than it was to women. Um, they would participate in a covenant meal, kind of looking at the Passover. Uh, they would have to accept the commandments or the Old Testament law. Uh, sometimes memorizing uh, passages of that and and a lot of uh, learning about the commandments. Uh, At different time periods, there would have been a sacrifice as part of this. And then there would have been a ritual bath uh, called a mikveh. Uh, It was a ceremonial cleansing or ceremonial washing, something that, it was something that you did yourself as part of the process. It represented that you were cleansing yourself from from all of your Gentileness, all of your... uh, old way of life, your sin, um, and cleansing yourself from all of that and then identifying from this point forward with the God of the Jews. That was kind of the process that they allowed for Gentiles to, uh, to convert to Judy, Judaism. 
so the, the ceremonial uh, cleansing was, it wasn't something that somebody did to you or for you. It was something that you did by yourself. And in areas like Macedonia or Thessalonica, uh, where the majority of Jews that were living there spoke Greek, uh, guess what they would call this ritual bath? Uh, they would use this word baptizo. In their Jewish culture 2,000 years ago and before that and even up to today, baptism is a normal part of life. They got it. They understood it. This word baptizo was simply a secular common word that the Jewish people used to describe a process of ceremonial washing as it related to somebody converting to becoming a Jew. So you fast forward to the New Testament and uh, the Messiah is born and around 30 AD something wild happened. A man shows up on the scene. Uh, Matthew 3, if you turn your Bibles there, Matthew 3 gives us a description of what this man looked like. It says that he was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Do you know what his name was? Uh, if you said John, you would be correct. That's who we're talking about here. He was known as John the Baptist and his message was simple. Uh, do you remember what his message was? Repent. A simple message with a lot of meaning. His message was repent, repent, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent is nothing more than this. I'm, I'm going in one direction for my life and I turn around and I instead go a different direction. John's message was directed to the Jewish people. God is going to do something amazing. It's something, it's something new. Uh, and if you don't repent, if you don't get right with God, then you'll miss it. But, but weren't they already right with God? I mean, they were the children of Abraham. They, they worshiped at the temple. They offered sacrifices. They followed the law. But that wasn't good enough. And so we see in Matthew 3 here that John is, is in the Jordan River. Uh, we aren't exactly sure how he baptized, what his method was, but it would have certainly looked like some sort of ceremonial washing. And so when it was recorded in the Gospels, uh, it is recorded and described as baptizo. They would have understood that he wasn't, he wasn't washing them. He wasn't uh, doing something that was making them physically clean, washing the dirt off of them. Uh, he was associating this washing, this dipping, this immersing uh, in the river with something new. But not just something new, someone new. John took what was a normal thing and applied it to this new radical life change. And so he became known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, not because he was a member at the Baptist church, but because he was submersing people in the river. Up until now, Baptizo uh, was a ceremonial washing that you did by yourself. It wasn't something that somebody did to you or for you. Uh, so John the Baptist uh, did this. He, he took something that was common of the day and you see this, this, uh, this, this immersing uh, people uh, in the river. You see this first associated with Christianity in the first century and it was something that was new. 
Matthew 3 here, if we read on a little bit longer, our next verse, it says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. What the people were doing was they were identifying with John's message. They were saying that I believe what John is saying is true and I'm willing to let everyone know by, uh, by doing this and uh, I'm, by making a public uh, example uh, in the river, uh, letting everybody know that what I believe John's saying is true. It wasn't enough to just agree privately, uh, but you needed to, to act on it. John's message was repent and, and go in a new direction. And you do that by confessing your sins and by being baptized. So uh, he was saying, come into the water and let people know that you believe. Now the Jordan River here was a very uh, public place. It probably would have been a hive of activity. Uh, there would have been maybe people washing their clothes. There would have been children uh, playing. It was a little bit of a crossroads. Uh, and so there would have been a lot of people around. But one day, John is in the river, and he's, he's doing this. He's, he's baptizing people, and he's probably soaked, and he, he looks up on the bank of the river, and he sees Jesus. And he looks at him, and we see in John 1, it's recorded what John says to him. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is who I was speaking about. This is, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's, it's all pointing to Jesus. Now, John was quite the preacher. I mean, the Pharisees would come to him and, and uh, because of his message and his following and, and what he was doing, they would ask him, are you the Messiah? And John was always very clear about uh, what he was. He would say, no, I'm not the Messiah. I am just a messenger. So Jesus comes into the water and he says to John, uh, John, I need you to baptize me. Uh, back in uh, Matthew 3, if you go on a little bit longer or a little bit further into uh, verse 13, we see this account and uh, Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. And it says, John tried to prevent Jesus uh, by saying to him, look, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to ask me. Uh, but Jesus responds to him, permit it be so now for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness jesus said this is necessary and so as people looked on uh, jesus identified with john's message about him and uh, yeah john the sinner baptizes jesus the son of god i'm sure the people that were watching had no idea of the importance and the significance of this. But from here on out, uh, Jesus' disciples uh, kind of pick up this, this, this practice of baptizing people as they're responding to Jesus' message. It's interesting to note that in John 4, uh, it actually tells us that Jesus didn't uh, baptize anybody, but his followers did. And so as people came and heard Jesus' message and as they would believe in their hearts, that uh, what Jesus was saying was true about who he was and about the kingdom of God, and they would line up and they would be baptized by the disciples as a public expression of what they believed to be true about Jesus. There's actually a story in Acts 19 where 12 men 
that were baptized by John had gone off to a different region and uh, Jesus uh, came and um, he was crucified and he rose again and he gave this command to the disciples in Matthew 28 about what they're due to, to do to make disciples, teach and baptize. And these 12 men come back after all of this has happened and they want to be part of this Jesus movement and uh, they get rebaptized because they had been baptized kind of identifying with the message of John which was about Jesus but a, a message of repentance but uh, they wanted to be rebaptized to identify with uh, as a public expression of their identifying with Jesus and his message and to come into unity with this group of Jesus followers. So John was the first baptizer uh, pointing to Jesus uh, a message of repentance uh, calling the Jews to repentance and preparation for what was to come. Jesus and his disciples did this in his ministry and then Jesus was leaving uh, and uh, you know looking back at Matthew 28 he says and I'm just paraphrasing this uh, look guys um, make disciples this is what you got to do you got to make disciples uh, teach people about uh, what you remember that I've told you about the kingdom of God and what this new life looks like make them my disciples and when they make that personal decision uh, in their hearts inside I, I want to see evidence of that I want to see an exterior evidence of that on the outside and so I want them to publicly enter the waters of baptism and declare that they are changed that they are my followers and and so baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit so that's how it happened. Baptism uh, is a public declaration that you are identifying with Jesus. It's a way of letting everyone around you know about your faith. Uh, it's a way of saying, I believe in the life and death and resurrection and message and way of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to embrace it. And, uh, and that's what it is. People who were baptized in the New Testament that we see we're making a public declaration of a personal decision to identify with this new way and this new life in Jesus. This is why we don't baptize infants. Uh, we dedicate children as a way of the parents and the church coming together and saying, let's commit together and support each other in raising this child in the way of Jesus so that they can make a personal decision to do this uh, later in their life. Uh, so as BIC, we believe this is such an important process that people need to make a personal decision for themselves when they are able uh, and in the scriptures people deciding to be baptized uh, were people that could make this decision on their own. Baptism is never a condition of salvation but it's definitely uh, an evidence of uh, salvation of, of that personal choice uh, to uh, live a life uh, following Jesus. During the crucifixion story we see Jesus uh, and then uh, we see Jesus and it says that they're on either side of him there was two criminals uh, one on one on each side and the one criminal after kind of uh, understanding his guilt and his uh, in light of Jesus and and who and believing who Jesus is uh, that he deserved what was coming to him uh, he acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and he asks for forgiveness and we see that story now if baptism was necessary for salvation uh, that would be pretty difficult to do at that time on the cross. But Jesus says to this criminal, uh, he says, I tell you today, uh, you are going to be together with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized and Jesus was okay with that. Uh, 
He didn't have time to get baptized. But here's the bottom line. You still have time. And if you are a Christian and you haven't been baptized since making a decision to follow Jesus, you need to get baptized. And if you're wanting to live a life obedient to Jesus, that is part of the process. This isn't one of those you do you kind of optional things. It's a step of obedience. It's a, st- it's a step of discipleship. It's essential. And so I want to tell you, uh, you know, how it's done isn't nearly as important as the timing of when it's done. Uh, you may have seen it uh, done in, in lots of different ways, whether that's backwards or, um, you know, the BIC traditionally has done this three times forward as a act of submission, uh, bowing to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bruxy from the Meeting House does a, a really great, really short one-minute kind of video on uh, outlining why the BIC has traditionally done this. Uh, many churches do it once backwards as a way of identifying with Jesus' death, uh, burial, and resurrection to new life. But how it's done is not near as important as the timing of when it's done. It's an act of obedience following a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've seen it done before and you've watched people give their testimony and that's the reason that you've never done it. Maybe that scares you. And I just want to, I just want to tell you that that scares everybody. Um, but here's why that is such an important part of the process because it's a public expression. As a church, uh, testimonies and hearing the stories of how God has changed lives and celebrating in baptisms, I believe, I believe these are some of the most uh, impactful and important, powerful things that we can do. For most of you who will do this, uh, saying or, or, or telling your story uh, in those few minutes before you're baptized, um, in those few minutes, you may share your story with more people than you will for the rest of your life. So why, why would you want to miss that opportunity? It's an amazing time of faith building for you, uh, for our church as a whole. And this is something that we need to come together and celebrate. So don't let that part of the process scare you away. Um, we can work with you in that. Uh, we would love to. Uh, if you're listening and you think maybe this sounds like you, Uh, Maybe you have um, never been baptized before. Uh, Maybe you came to faith later on in life and it's just something that you haven't done yet. Uh, Maybe you've never been challenged to. Maybe you have been too nervous to take this step. Um, Maybe you struggle with what you were taught as a kid. Uh, Your religious background was different. Maybe you were baptized as a child uh, and it was prior to making that personal decision for yourself. There's many, there's many reasons why maybe you haven't done this yet. And then there are lots of excuses of why uh, maybe you still don't want to. But, I mean, maybe you think that you're too old. Uh, I remember just after I came to Sobel Church, um, I was able to witness a 100-year-old that was being baptized. Uh, and, uh, man, those are special times. Um, so if you think you're too old, I mean, if... if we had a 100-year-old in the tank. Um, you aren't too old. But let me encourage you. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have committed your life to the Lord and you have never done this, this is something that you need to do as your next step in being a disciple. 
Uh, myself, I was baptized around the age of eight or nine. Um, there was a whole bunch of people getting baptized and uh, I remember making that decision to, to do that personally. Um, I had been raised in the church and that was a really meaningful experience for me. And uh, then I spent a number of years kind of running from God and not really following Him at all, definitely not living for the Lord. And when I was about 19, I, I really, God kind of just grabbed my attention and gripped my heart. And I made a lifelong commitment that I was going to follow Jesus. Uh, no matter the cost, no matter what happened, I was going to follow Jesus the rest of my life and, uh, and not look back. And about five years after that, uh, I came to Sobel Church and I felt God was prompting me uh, as we were, they were talking about baptism, I felt God prompting me to get rebaptized, and uh, so I talked with the pastor at the time, and I did that. Uh, so I've been baptized twice. Uh, both experiences very meaningful, um, but following a decision, a personal decision to follow Jesus, and uh, that was something that I could share with those who were there. I really believe to obey what Jesus said. You need to be baptized and we want to be part of the process. The first step is really easy. Uh, you just have to let us know that you're interested. It's a personal step and we want to talk to you personally about it, uh, walk with you through it. We want to celebrate together and we really just can't wait for you to take this step. Saying yes to Jesus and declaring it publicly through baptism, it's one of our essentials to being a disciple and being a healthy church together. If the thought of being in front of people uh, and doing this really freaks you out, uh, I want to challenge you in that as well. I mean, think about what Jesus did for you. He died for you. He bled and died the most gruesome, the most horrible death that you could ever imagine. And he did it willingly for you and for me. So, you know, working around your fears of what it might look like to be up in front of people, to what it might look like to be in public doing this, maybe what your family might think about you. While these are very real fears, uh, when you put them in light of what Jesus did for us, uh, I hope that those fears seem a, a little bit smaller. If you aren't willing to do this, if you aren't willing to take the step of baptism, if it's an issue of humbling yourself and surrendering or an issue of comfort or uh, embarrassment, I would really challenge you to ask some hard questions of yourself. Uh, what does Jesus, like what does following Jesus really mean to you? But I can promise you this, when you are baptized and when you share your story, there is someone that will be watching that day that hears your story that needs to hear exactly what you have to say. Your story isn't boring, uh, it's unique. You are unique and your story needs to be shared. And I know for a fact that it will impact the life of someone else that's watching. And I know that because I hear that every time we do testimonies. And you may never even know the impact that you make by sharing your story, but that person may never forget you and your story and how God used you to impact their life and to make a difference and encourage them to take that next step in following Jesus for them. So don't wait, 
let us know before you uh, before you leave the chat. Um, find out how to connect and uh, let us know that you want to take this step. It doesn't matter where you are, where you're watching from. We can connect you with a local church that can walk with you through this. If that's something that that uh, that you want to do, uh, we would love to uh, help you in that. If you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, don't leave it. This is an essential. Uh, follow Jesus and be baptized. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your uh, words in Matthew 28. Uh, go ye into all the world and make disciples, uh, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this instruction. Uh, we want to follow you. We want our lives to be uh, reflecting you and what you did and who you are. And we want to be obedient to you. So uh, just in the quietness of our own hearts, God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, uh, show us the next step for us. If that's baptism, then, uh, then great. Give us the courage and the boldness to uh, to make that decision in obedience to what you've said. If it's another step uh, forward in the journey for us, then show us what that is. God, we want to just follow you greater and greater today and tomorrow and the next days, uh, more and more what it means to be your followers and your disciples. And so thank you for who you are. Thank you that your word is clear about what we're to do. Help us to be obedient. Show us uh, show us what that means for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.